Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is part one of a two-part conversation with Bishop Ken Carter. Bishop Carter leads the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, and he's also the president-elect of the Council of Bishops. In this first part, we talk about the role that preaching has played throughout his career, from when he led four small rural churches at one time, up through being a bishop. Be sure to come back next episode as we talk about preaching as a tool for finding unity in seasons of conflict, as well as how Bishop Carter sees preaching playing a role in the church moving forward. Today, our guest is Bishop Ken Carter, who is Bishop of the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, which makes him my bishop. And so if you enjoy this podcast or any of the other ministries that I do through DefiningGrace.com, Bishop Carter is one of the people you can thank for it. And so I want to begin by thanking you, Bishop Carter, for the opportunity to do this ministry. And thanks so much for being with us today on the podcast. Uh, Well, thank you, Dan. I'm just grateful for your gifts and uh, for this ministry and the way you you reach people, so I'm grateful to you. Well, I am familiar with you and what you do, for, but for our listeners who may not know uh, who you are or what you do, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your ministry and its context? Uh, well, my name's Ken Carter, and I'm a United Methodist uh, pastor. I serve as the bishop of the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is uh, a geographical area that extends from Tallahassee and Jacksonville to the Keys. Uh, almost 700 churches, uh, campus ministries, camps, immigration ministries. We also uh, are involved in the Fresh Expressions movement. Uh, and in my role, uh, I help to, to place clergy in consultation with churches, try to help build systems that can bring in new generations of clergy. Uh, we also work on a few key initiatives that uh, are simply too large for one local church to do, but ways that we come together. And uh, I think that's a, a bit of my work, uh, just sort of a ministry of encouragement and oversight. Well, and we'll touch on it a little bit later, but you also play a leadership role on the Council of Bishops for the United Methodist Church. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the role that you'll be taking over here in about a year and a half? Right. Uh, well, uh, this was something of a surprise to me, but I was asked by the by the bishops to be the president of the council from 2018 to 2020, uh, which means I simply preside with that group. It's not a hierarchy within the group. We're all equals with each other, but it's a a way of trying to make the most of our meetings and at times speaking for the whole church. It's a global church. Uh, We uh, have, you know, many churches uh, and leaders in Africa, Philippines, parts of Europe, as well as the United States. So uh, I'll be doing that as well as uh, the work in Florida. That's very, very exciting. And this podcast obviously called Art of the Sermon, and so we tend to focus in on preaching. And so I wanted to ask you if you had a philosophy or approach to preaching in general, or maybe a mission statement or guiding principle for your preaching, what might it be? You know, that's a great question. Uh, and as and I think I would begin by going back to uh, a phrase that I learned in seminary, uh, and it was a statement of Martin Luther who said, uh, I did nothing, the Word did it all. Mm. Uh, and I think my approach to preaching is that the Word itself uh, has the power to encourage people, correct people, uh, equip, empower people, uh, that everything that's needed is in the Word itself. Uh, and the role of the preacher is to try to make that word more transparent, uh, more compelling, more visible to the listener. 
Uh, and so uh, that, to me, is the role of the preacher. Uh, in, and in my work as a preacher, it was simply trying to almost get out of the way and allow the word to speak for itself. Uh, we have great material, and that's, <laughs> I guess that's, that's where I would uh, begin. Yeah, and I've I've heard it said that there's really only about six sermons that have ever been preached. We all just take our our turn preaching those sermons, and that's uh, right. If we can work off the same source text for a couple thousand years, I feel like we've we've probably got a pretty firm foundation. That's right. That's right. Well, of course, uh, though you serve as a bishop now, you worked your way up through many different roles in the church, and you began as a local church pastor. And if I recall correctly, you've been both a local church pastor in a multiple point setting where you served more than one church at a time. You've also served the large church uh, in a local right. church setting. And so can you talk a little bit about your experiences right. in the local church and how preaching fit into your role in those settings? Well, early in the ministry, I did serve uh, four churches uh, together, a four-point charge. Uh, and the and the way that shaped preaching was that I preached in two of the churches one Sunday and two the next. So I really worked on a sermon every other week, which was interesting. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I would sort of choose a passage and do that. And they had Sunday evening services, which were more teaching kinds of context. But uh, that was, uh, you know, just the experience that I came to. I was in a rural area, and I was a part of a lectionary group. We would meet together, and we would work on sermons, and, and sort of we were an kind of an accountability, covenant, encouragement group with each other. Uh, then I was associate pastor for a few years at a large church and preached maybe once a month. And so uh, I loved preaching, but probably I spoke to that need within myself by doing more teaching. Uh, and then sometimes preaching in nursing homes or prisons uh, in, that, in that city, which was Greensboro, North Carolina. And then helped start a new church for a few years. So then it was preaching every Sunday. And, um, you know, I just loved the process of seeing a sermon develop and working on it. Uh, and then um, served a couple of large churches after those few years. And I think what changed there was uh, the churches were of such size that uh, I really I really got to know people through the sermons, and, mm -hmm. and people got to know me through the sermons. And so I really spent a lot of time. It was obvious in these churches that the sermon was really critical because uh, people were driving long distances to come to these churches and could be doing other things. And so I think that's when I really got serious about uh, not letting it be the last thing I did in the week, but trying to start early in the week, uh, trying to develop outlines, just different kinds of strategies to uh, make the sermon more creative and, and better. That's great, and, and I think you're you're touching so many bases for all of our listeners because we have folks from seminary students who may themselves be serving small churches or even multi-point charges up to pastors of large churches. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you, I served a two-point charge for a couple of years, and I found uh, one of my churches was rural and then one was in a college town. I actually found that sort of the jokes that would make one group laugh right. didn't make the other group laugh, and vice right. versa. Did you find that kind of diversity between your four churches as well? You know, uh, I would say the four churches were all pretty rural, and uh, so I didn't have that kind of 
maybe that kind of diversity. Uh, I did find that, however, going from a rural setting to a city setting that illustrations that made sense in one place did not in another. Uh, and so uh, here we're getting very practical, but as you preach over a number of years, you, of course, develop a stack of manuscripts. Sure. And, uh, and I found that I would often go back to it and look at it, uh, look at the sermon, but, but I found that uh, it was very rare, very rare that uh, I would simply take a sermon I had preached uh, in, a, in a previous church and preach that sermon again. The people were different. The context were, was different. I was different. Uh, our relationship was different. So, mm-hmm. so that's interesting, though. That when you uh, when you do that, I did find that in the large church, um, I found that when there were several ser- services in a morning, that uh, the f- long the more you got into later in the morning, <laughs> people were just more awake. That's true. And so, and so they were more interactive and tended to laugh more at humor or jokes, but no, that's, that's an interesting experience. And that's an interesting uh, and important part of context as well as the time of day and the alertness of the group that right. you're preaching to. And, and then for yeah. the uh, the associate pastors that are listening, what I heard you talk about was finding opportunities to teach right. and to speak to groups, even if it wasn't the main worship service. I know one of the main tensions that can come between senior pastors and associates is the sharing of that preaching role. And so do you have any words of encouragement for that associate? Associate that's maybe wishing they had more opportunities to preach. Right. And I was a, an associate for six years, um, and it was a great time in my life. In fact, I, one year I wrote the uh, Living by the Word section for the Christian Century, and I gave me Easter and the Sunday after Easter. Uh, and I found that I had a lot of sermons on the Sunday after Easter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, uh, and I joked that this was National Associate Pastor Sunday. Sure, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just found that I, I was assigned to preach. And so I, I said to myself, if I were ever in the other role, I would not simply have the associate preach on those kinds of Sundays. But but although they're important, it was always Thomas in terms of Sunday after Easter. Sure, sure. But, uh, but I would say, um, you know, for me, it just kept that intellectual part of my life alive to teach maybe a series of three. We're talking about if you're an associate in a church of some size, maybe you work with an adult class or a small group or develop a small group and teach a series of three lessons, you know, on something you're interested in or teach what the what the sermon is going to be about. Uh, I think it was finding those creative ways. And I mentioned, you know, just the opportunities to preach in prisons, you know, in jails. Uh, Bart preached in prisons and jails uh, and in nursing homes. I, I just always enjoyed that. I never begrudged that I was not preaching more, although at times as an associate, I did preach some years a great deal, but but I just wanted to keep that part of my life alive. And I've known associate pastors who don't have a great deal of interest in that, and then some that do. And where there's, you know, hopefully there's good communication between the clergy so that they work that out together. I think it's great for a congregation to be able to hear different voices. Absolutely. Uh, 
Absolutely. And different approaches. And so it's actually very healthy. When, and then when you started leading larger churches, you not only were the senior pastor again, but you were a little bit further in your career. And you talked about the sermons really being the vehicle for the pastor and the congregation to get to know one another, because obviously the larger the church gets, you're not going to be able to visit everyone or have sit-down meetings with everyone. I was wondering if uh, during that time, did you were you a series preacher, a lectionary preacher, or a mix of both? Uh, probably a mix of both. Uh, there were times when we would shape it around the lectionary, and, and I, I like the lectionary, but I I realize we don't live in a you know in a church culture uh, in an ecclesial kind of calendar. There was a great uh, sermon by Ernest Campbell, who was the pastor of the Riverside Church when I was starting in the ministry. Called it was sort of about calendars we live by, and his. What he was playing with was how we live in the tension of uh, the civic calendar, the sports calendar, the church calendar. And so people, their default is, for the most part, not the liturgical calendar. So I do believe that if we use the lectionary, we really got to interpret that. I found myself shaping sermon series at times around the lectionary, Mm. Uh, not in a slavish kind of way. But so, for example, I think Luke is the current lectionary reading, uh, interestingly, the prodigal son is skipped over in this lectionary cycle. I think it it came sometime last year, which is just kind of unusual given the, that part of Luke. So I think you could shape a series of sermons for, from Luke's gospel and call it the spirituality of Jesus or the journey, you know, our spiritual journey, walk with Jesus or something. And uh, I did. I did find uh, it. It was helpful, but but we often at times would would get away from that. Um, I think uh, one of the things I remember we did in 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 Providence in Charlotte, which was the last church I served. You know, we we began to approach the summer as a particular time of year, and you know, one of the ways we sometimes would lean into the summer was. Um, lamenting everyone traveling and being away. <laughs> right. Uh, and so we decided to focus on the Psalms. We asked people to vote on their favorite Psalms. We structured uh, all the sermons that summer around the Psalms. We used Twitter, uh, sent out a Twitter feed every morning and evening so that people could read a Psalm in the morning, a Psalm in the evening. So they were reading the Psalms all summer. We had the music around those Psalms and and, you know, that was a kind of a creative way. And, and I really enjoyed developing those sermons, you know, around the Psalms. And uh, it lent itself to people who were going to the beach or the mountains. And so I just think uh, trying to be creative around whatever scripture is chosen. You know, you mentioned we preach a few sermons. Uh, I also think that it's possible to get into a grid, whether we preach a series or lectionary we, we might, in fact, just simply get into our own grid or groove. Yeah. I talked a little bit about the process I used to preach in the couple of larger churches because it changed. Uh, I, th- I would say earlier in the ministry, and I was a parish minister for about 20, 29 years. So uh, that was life for me, most of my ministry. Uh, but I would say earlier in the ministry, I simply worked on the sermon but really, the end of the week was when I finished it. Yeah. And I would say I just finished basically a draft, and that was it. And I didn't read the sermon, but I kind of had a manuscript. 
Uh, and I would say that changed in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, the second maybe half of parish ministry. And I would really try to front load in the front of the week uh, the real work on the sermon, the commentary stuff. And for me, that was always simply finding what was the boundary of what the scripture really said, uh, and then trying to develop an outline, trying to write it. And I would try to have a draft of the sermon by the end of the day on Thursday. Hmm. And then uh, someone had said to me along the way, they were talking to me just about writing, not necessarily sermons, but writing, that it was great to write something and then sleep on it. Just allow it to cool off, and and then you come back to it later and see what you have. And then Saturday morning, I would try to take Fridays off. Our kids were growing up and tried to take that as a Sabbath. And then Saturday morning, I would go into the office. Typically, I was the only one there. And I would uh, revise that draft. And what that usually meant was that it would become shorter. <laughs> right. I, I would I would take things out and I would think, well, I was, you know, I was you know, a little ticked off when I wrote that, or that's that's a great idea, but it's not relevant to this scripture. And then just take stuff out, make it shorter, work on the transitions, you know, why, why am I going from this place to this place? And get another kind of draft. And then I would take it into the sanctuary, and I would actually go over it out loud. And... Um, the sermon was always better if I did this hmm. uh, and no one would be in there and I would just go over it out loud and I would find myself running through lines or, you know, working again on the transition. And then I would get to the church early Sunday morning. I would look at it again and maybe make minor things. But uh, I found the more I looked at it, the more I revised it, the shorter it became and uh, that it, that was what I felt like I needed to do as a preacher. Uh, and so I certainly didn't do that most of, in, in most of the ministry, but I found myself doing that uh, when preaching was really one of the key things I did. Now, I always visited people in the hospital. You know, I always led particular committees. So it's not like I was just holed up writing sermons and isolated from that. I actually found the relationships were pretty essential to the sermons. But uh, but I, I want to affirm what you're doing here. And thank you for putting the focus on, on the, the sermon, the art of the sermon, because uh, it is the one act of ministry that affects the most people. Well, and, and it is amazing the processing that your brain can do if you give it time to sleep on it. I, I would always try to finish mine up by the end of the week, and sometimes I would look at it Saturday, but at the very least, I would try to spend an hour. I would actually go to Starbucks on Sunday morning for an hour, so right, it wasn't right. the church office. It wasn't my house. It was kind of a different place, and it's amazing kind of the the new way it would appear Sunday morning. And you think, oh no, like that's a terrible time to make changes. But oftentimes your brain has been working on it. And so it right. becomes clearer. And and then it, to me, it became easier to deliver looking at it that one last time. 
Right, right. Well, after serving as a local church pastor, you were then asked to serve as a district superintendent, which for our non-Methodist listeners is sort of a supervisor and a pastor to the pastors of a district, which is a smaller area inside of a larger conference. And now as bishop in Florida, you've recast the role of DS as the chief missional strategist. So I wanted to ask you how you view the role of preaching in the district superintendent position, either during your time or how you would like your district superintendent Superintendents to be fulfilling it now. Well, I was only a district superintendent for a, a for about a year and a half uh, before I was uh, elected bishop assigned to Florida, and uh, I found the role of the superintendent is very different than the role of bishop in terms of preaching. Uh, at least I felt that for me. I felt like as a superintendent, a critical part of that role was hearing the clergy preach. Uh, and so I spent most Sundays listening to uh, the pastors preach in that district. Uh, for example, the, those might be clergy coming into the ministry in a kind of a probationary provisional status. Uh, I needed to be able to hear their sermons for their ordination processes. Uh, I needed to be able to hear uh, clergy preach in terms of um, in terms of their, if they were going through a change or a transition. Uh, and so I listened to a lot of people preach uh, in that district. And that's really what I, I like for our superintendents to, to do, to be aware of the preaching styles and gifts of the clergy so that should they be in a transition, and we don't just arbitrarily move people around, but when there are transitions, you want someone's gifts and capacities and skills to be a good match with a particular church. Well, we, we very much appreciate that. We as pastors appreciate that. Yeah, and so uh, so that was the role of superintendent. The role of bishop is more when I'm in a church, uh, I typically do preach. Uh, and so I'm not listening to that pastor or those pastors preach, although I do observe them leading worship uh, and uh, interacting with their people. But typically, it's uh, for an anniversary, for an occasion particular that's particular to that church, or I want to begin to get to know the people in a church because uh, their pastor is going to be retiring and they're going through a transition. Florida has a lot of clergy who've served 10, 15, 20 years in one particular church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the first couple of years, I preached in a lot of those churches Uh, like Trinity, Gainesville, Hyde Park, Tampa, St. Luke's, Orlando, uh, et cetera, just to begin to establish a relationship with the church and and, and Killarne, Tallahassee. And so uh, in those situations, it's more to affirm the pastor, affirm the staff of the church, thank the people for their being in mission in their community, to represent the connection, and I would often talk about campus ministries and camps and immigration ministry, et cetera, in Florida. Uh, It's a different role, and it's a very different role uh, as a superintendent or bishop than when you are the pastor of the church, because you do not have pastoral relationships with the people. So does that allow you then to sort of uh, craft a couple key messages that you feel you can take to each church that you're invited to? You know, it, it really does, which is uh, maybe a little unfair <laughs> to, 
to the people who are, who are listening. Uh, for example, this past weekend, uh, I actually preached in a mountain church for their homecoming. I had been their former district superintendent. They had asked me. And uh, I do often preach in homecoming services. And in Florida, more of those churches are in North Florida because the churches are older. Mm-hmm. They have more history. Uh, and so I find when I'm preaching, say, a homecoming service, I will often preach the prodigal son passage uh, because it is a great homecoming story. Uh, it is a, a story which to me leans into the mission of the church in terms of, uh, you know, being inclusive in terms of uh, the prodigals in our midst, the older brothers in our midst, uh, just the complexity of that parable. And now I will say that over time, I find myself reading different perspectives on the prodigal son. So it's not the same sermon. Right. Uh, uh, but I love working with it. And and you can visualize who is there at a homecoming uh, service and say a county seat first church or a rural church. You have a lot of people who are family, part of families, but don't worship very often in that church, but they're there because it's homecoming. And so it's very much the feel of that kind of family and how we relate to family. So, so I, yes, that's true. I may, uh, I may take one passage uh, and really work with it for several weeks. Uh, and that's kind of a spiritual discipline for me to go deeper into one uh, passage. Of course, that changes if you're in a season like Advent or Holy Week or something. Sure. So, so as you prepare for uh, annual conference, which for us Methodists, that's our annual meeting where you get to uh, preside over the conference, but you also have the opportunity to preach to the gathered clergy and lay uh, delegates, which are oftentimes uh, very influential leaders from the congregations. How do you set about preparing the kind of message and vision that you want to present at annual conference? Right. Well, I think um, for me, that's often uh, the opening sermon has increasingly become the opening sermon, which is often a communion service. And that tends to be about our our unity and our communion with each other. And, you know, often uh, people come to that annual conference with a fair degree of conflict or questions about division or, or unity. And so it's a time to uh, maybe stress and celebrate the the underlying unity that is is foundational to all of that. Uh, the ordination sermon, I think, is really a kind of a sending forth encouragement, uh, celebration of this day with those men and women, and 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 it may sometimes try to push all of us, myself included, uh, to to be in ministry with the people, not just in our church, but the people on the margins of our churches. Uh, And again, I would say, um, you know, I used to sit at annual conferences and and I would listen to long, long (laughs) sermons by bishops, uh, forgive me. And, uh, And so I find, I don't know what the perception is, but I find those sermons, again, getting, uh, crisper and, <laughs> sure. and more direct. Uh, I just would, you know, I have this great image. I used to give children sermons uh, in the local church and um, the children would come forward. They would listen to the children's message. And, 
you know, sometimes that would happen and you'd see a child kind of wander off, you know, right. before the sermon was ending. And I, you know, so adults don't do that, but mentally they may kind of wander sure. off, sure. you know, and so, so really trying to end the sermon while people are still with you. But, uh, but to me, it's, um, it's fun. I also like in that setting though, for people to able be able to hear other preachers, mm-hmm. you know, I know some bishops that preach all of the sermons of the, their annual conferences, uh, and uh, that's that's great for them, but I I really want people to hear different voices, uh, the voices of women, the voices of ethnic persons, uh, the voices of people of other denominations, and so to try to make uh, what what I do a, a part of a mix. Uh, and, and I would say this year at our annual conference, we really stressed with the guest presenters that they're presentations would be more like TED Talks, more like 20 minutes or so. Uh, I think I read a book, uh, Talk Like Ted, that says the ideal, the most downloaded TED Talks are 18 minutes long. And, mm, yeah. you know, so, so getting away from the 45, 50, 55 minute presentation to, to you know, you can convey a lot of material in 20 minutes. And, uh, and I would say in the churches that I served Back in North Carolina, we were blessed to have some great guest preachers, and a couple of them that I remember were Zan Holmes and Will Williman, and they both preached sermons that were less than 20 minutes long. But but if you ask the people who were there, they would say they were very memorable. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.